We remain in strange and uncharted waters. We've never had a president of the United States stir up a violent attempt to block the transfer of power. I believe nearly two years later, this is still a time of reflection and reckoning. If we are to survive as a nation of laws and democracy, this can never happen again. That would be nice. Welcome to special coverage of the January 6th committee finale hearing. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in Santa Barbara on 98.7, in San Diego on 93.7, and in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California on 99.5 FM, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News in Maui, Hawaii on KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, in Rochester, New York on WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet. on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square, Radio Detour Talk, and all your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow... Says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for our special, another special edition of the Bradcast. Sort of a surprise special edition of the Bradcast. Didn't know this one was coming today, but here it is, Desi Doyen. Surprise! Indeed. (laughs) And not only surprise, but Merry Christmas, Donald Trump. We will get to his Christmas presents in a moment, as issued by the House January 6th Committee on Monday. But it has been a very busy several news days in a row from late last week to over the weekend through today, including a whirlwind of insanity, insane activity regarding Elon Musk and Twitter, who after suspending a whole bunch of journalists from Twitter late last week and lying about his reasons for doing so, including, by the way, uh, one of our guests on this program just two weeks ago, the Voice of America's chief national correspondent, Steve Herman, was permanently suspended until he was subsequently unsuspended, along with uh, most of those other journalists. Uh, That happened over the weekend. And then late on Sunday, Elon Musk Musk issued a Twitter poll asking whether he should finally and mercifully step down as head of the social network, promising to abide by the results of the user poll, which he lost bigly. 
by 15 points as Twitter users voted to oust him, though that may have been what he wanted. Uh, Maybe we'll get uh, to more on that in a little bit. Also receiving much less attention over the weekend, there were new court rulings in some of the remaining election contests and recounts that are still outstanding from the November 2022 midterms and more. Uh, As I said, a few, uh, a busy few uh, uh, news days in a row while we were off. We will see if I can get to some of those stories as previously planned and hoped for today, along with your calls, if time allows, on whatever it is we end up covering today at 818-985-5735, where if you'd like to ring in, you're going to have to hit option number one to talk to me on the air because we're still in the middle of our latest emergency fund drive here at KPFK, our flagship station in L.A., Uh, Where you can use the same phone number, by the way, 818-985-KPFK to leave a donation to help the station continue during a very, very dire time here uh, by hitting option number two. In any event, uh, the big news today is the hearing that was held by the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee on Monday. A finale hearing of sorts on their efforts to investigate the Donald Trump incited January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and the former president's multiple failed attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election. Just a few hours before airtime, the committee held a last public meeting to both present its final report to the public and to hold a vote on a number of rather expansive criminal referrals to the United States Department of Justice for one Donald J. Trump and some some of his allies and co-conspirators. We'll share some extended clips from that hearing today, but to jump to its conclusion, the committee voted unanimously to refer Donald Trump to the DOJ for four crimes, including obstruction of an official proceeding in attempting to corruptly block the peaceful transfer of power on January 6, 2021, conspiracy to defraud the United States as part of his effort to impair and disrupt Joe Biden's presidential victory in repeatedly lying about fraud in the 2020 election, despite being told over and over again by his own top advisors and attorneys uh, and his own Justice Department that there was simply zero evidence of such fraud that he was pretending actually exists. Also, conspiracy to make a false statement to Congress in his efforts to conspire with others to submit fake electors and fake electoral certificates to Congress. That is fraud. That is, of course, a crime and perhaps the most serious charge. He was referred to the Department of Justice on Monday by the committee for his effort to incite, assist or aid or comfort An insurrection against the United States government, a very grave offense, which, if found guilty of insurrection, would disqualify Donald Trump from ever holding federal office again. As the committee's finale hearing took place in the middle of the workday on a Monday for most folks, I sort of wanted to step through at least a few of the member statements, some of which included new information not presented in the uh, previous hearings, some of which they've gathered since their last hearing. Uh, I think they've held 10 public hearings in total. Their last one before today was in mid-September when they subpoenaed 
the disgraced former president for testimony and documents, which Trump did not answer. He did not answer the subpoenas. And in fact, he could face liability uh, for not doing so, just as his one-time aide Steve Bannon for example, is now preparing to see two months in federal prison for having uh, skipped those subpoenas himself. Each of the committee's nine members presented statements on Monday as they summarized the evidence gathered by the committee from hundreds of witnesses over the past nearly two years or so, some of which was presented in earlier hearings. Before the presentation of those summaries, Committee Vice Chair Republican Liz Cheney of Wyoming offered some historical perspective for the unprecedented investigation and the actions taken on Monday to make criminal referrals for a former president of the United States. The orderly transfer of authority as called for in the Constitution routinely takes place, as it has for almost two centuries, and few of us stop to think how unique we really are. In the eyes of many in the world, this every four-year ceremony that we accept as normal is nothing less than a miracle. Every president in our history has defended this orderly transfer of authority, except one. January 6, 2021 was the first time one American president refused his constitutional duty to transfer power peacefully to the next. In our work over the last 18 months, the Select Committee has recognized our obligation to do everything we can to ensure this never happens again. At the beginning of our investigation, we understood that tens of millions of Americans had been persuaded by President Trump that the 2020 election was stolen by overwhelming fraud. And we also knew this was flatly false. We knew that dozens of state and federal judges had addressed and resolved all manner of allegations about the election. Our legal system functioned as it should, but our president would not accept the outcome. Among the most shameful of this committee's findings was that President Trump sat in the dining room off the Oval Office watching the violent riot at the Capitol on television. For hours, he would not issue a public statement instructing his supporters to disperse and leave the Capitol despite urgent pleas from his White House staff and dozens of others to do so. Members of his family, his White House lawyers, virtually all those around him knew that this simple act was critical. For hours, he would not do it. During this time, law enforcement agents were attacked and seriously injured. The Capitol was invaded, the electoral count was halted, and the lives of those in the Capitol were put at risk. In addition to being unlawful, as described in our report, this was an utter moral failure and a clear dereliction of duty. Evidence of this can be seen in the testimony of President Trump's own White House counsel and several other White House witnesses. No man who would behave that way at that moment in time can ever serve in any position of authority in our nation again. He is unfit for any office. The committee recognizes that our work has only begun. It's only the initial step in addressing President Trump's effort to remain in office illegally. Prosecutors are considering the implications of the conduct that we describe in our report, as are citizens all across our nation. In 1761, John Adams wrote, 
The very ground of our liberties is the freedom of elections. The history of our time will show that the bravery of a handful of Americans doing their duty saved us from an even more grave constitutional crisis. Elected officials, election workers, and public servants stood against Donald Trump's corrupt pressure. Many of our committee's witnesses showed selfless patriotism, and their words and courage will be remembered. The brave men and women of the Capitol Police, the Metropolitan Police, and all the other law enforcement officers who fought to defend us that day saved lives and our democracy. We have accomplished much over a short period of time. Many of you sacrificed for the good of our nation. You have helped make history, and I hope helped to right the ship. It was uh, Liz Cheney on Monday giving the historical perspective for how the and why the committee was proceeding as they were and are towards criminal referrals to the Department of Justice for Donald Trump. Next, committee chair Benny Thompson, Democrat from Mississippi, introduced a video summarizing the various sort of subsections of their uh, the committee's final report from the big lie to Trump's state pressure campaign to what they describe as his Department of Justice ca- pressure campaign to his pressure campaign against Vice President Mike Pence to summoning the mob to D.C. for the January 6th rally and attack on the U.S. Capitol and his more than three hours of his what they describe as 187 minutes of dereliction of duty to uh, his failure to take any action at all as his violent mob attacked law enforcement officials, breached the U.S. Capitol and prevented the peaceful transfer of power while Donald Trump watched it all on television from the White House dining room and did nothing to stop it. The video served as a brief compilation of evidence uncovered by the committee from the violence outside and inside of the Capitol to testimony from Trump administration staffers and both White House and Department of Justice attorneys conceding Trump's claims of stolen election of, of a stolen election were bogus to evidence of Trump pressuring officials to steal the election on his behalf in states like Georgia. Folks like uh, Trump allies Roger Stone and Rudy Giuliani are seen and heard simply lying about the results and testimony by some of those election workers that they falsely claimed had stolen the election from Donald Trump. Evidence of Trump's pressuring legal counsel to install a Trump apparatchik as U.S. attorney general in the final hours of Trump's administration. Pressure. Uh, that was applied to Vice President Mike Pence to unilaterally toss out the electors on January 6th. Trump's summoning of the mob to come to D.C. on January 6th and doing nothing for those three hours, three plus hours throughout the attack on the U.S. Capitol by his summoned supporters who he instructed to, quote, fight like hell or they wouldn't have a country anymore during his rally near the White House in advance of their march on the Capitol. Officers on the ground, they were bleeding, they were throwing up. I I mean, I saw friends with blood all over their faces. I was slipping in people's blood. As I was swarmed by a violent mob, they ripped off my badge 
They grabbed and stripped me of my radio. They seized ammunition that was secured to my body. They began to beat me with their fists and with what felt like hard metal objects. The key thing to do is to claim victory. No, we won. F*** you. Sorry, over. We won. You're wrong. F*** you. Right out of the box on election night, the president um, claimed that there was major fraud underway. I mean, this happened, as far as I could tell, before there was actually any potential of looking at evidence. I told him that I did believe, yes, that once the, those legal processes were run, uh, if fraud had not been established, that had affected the outcome of the election, then unfortunately I believed that what had to be done was concede the outcome. What were the chances of President Trump winning the election? After that point? Yes. None. So what are we going to do here, folks? I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. The numbers are the numbers, the numbers don't lie. We had many allegations and we investigated every single one of them. Did uh, one of them uh, make a comment that uh, they didn't have evidence but they had a lot of theories? That was Mr. Giuliani. He said, we've got lots of theories, we just don't have the evidence. You're asking me to do something that's never been done in history, the history of the United States. And I'm going to put my state through that without sufficient proof. It's a tape earlier in the day of Ruby Freeman and Shay Freeman Moss and one other gentleman quite obviously, surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they're vials of heroin or cocaine. In one of the videos we just watched, Mr. Giuliani accused you and your mother of passing some sort of USB drive to each other. Uh, what was your mom actually handing you on that video? A ginger mint. Do you know how it feels to have the president of the United States to target you? The president of the United States is supposed to represent every American, not to target one. I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. He wanted to talk about that he thought the uh, the election had been uh, stolen or, or was corrupt and that there was widespread fraud. And I had told him that uh, our reviews had not shown that to be the case. And I said something to the effect of, sir, we've done dozens of investigations, hundreds of interviews. The major allegations are not supported by the evidence developed. Well, my first thought was, this is a a terrible idea. Jeff Clark cannot be installed as acting attorney general of the United States. Was it your impression that the vice president had directly conveyed his position on these issues to the president, not just to the world through a dear colleague letter, but directly to President Trump? Many times. My view is that the vice president had, didn't have the legal authority to do anything except what he did. And I said, you're saying that you believe the vice president acting as president of the Senate can be the sole decision maker as to, under your theory, who becomes the next president of the United States? And you said yes. And I said, are you out of your effing mind? The president was, you know, all the attention was on uh, what Mike would do or what Mike wouldn't do. There's a telephone conversation between the president and the vice president. Is that correct? Yes. The conversation was was pretty heated. 
apologize for being impolite, but do you remember what she said? Her father called him. The P word. Bring it up, Bring it up. It was clear that it was escalating and escalating quickly. So then when that tweet, the Mike Pence tweet um, was sent out, um, I remember us saying that that was the last thing that needed to be tweeted at that moment. It felt like he was pouring gasoline on the fire by tweeting that. They are on the second floor, moving in now. We may want to consider getting out and leaving now. Copy. Members of the BPC tell at this time were starting to fear for their own lives. There were calls to uh, say goodbye to family members, so on and so forth. Approximately 40 feet. That's all there was. 40 feet between the vice president and the mob. Donald Trump and his allies and supporters are a clear and present danger to American democracy. We got derogatory information from OSINT suggesting that uh, some very, very violent individuals uh, were organizing uh, to come to D.C. As Mr. Giuliani and I were walking to his vehicles that evening, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, Cass, are you excited for the 6th? It's going to be a great day. We're going to the Capitol. It's going to be great. The president's going to be there. He's going to look powerful. He personally asked for us to come to D.C. that day. And I thought, for everything he's done for us, if this is the only thing he's going to ask of me, I'll do it. Um, well, basically, uh, you know, the president, you know, got everybody riled up, told everybody head on down. So we basically were just following what he said. Within 15 minutes of leaving the stage, President Trump knew that the Capitol was besieged and under attack. So are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Defense that day? Not that I'm aware of, no. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Attorney General of the United States that day? No. Are you aware of any phone call by the President of the United States to the Secretary of Homeland Security that day? I, I'm not aware of that, no. Did you ever hear the President no. ask for the National no. Did you ever hear the president ask for law enforcement response? No. I remember Pat saying something to the effect of, Mark, we need to do something more. They're literally calling for the vice president to be effing hung. And Mark had responded something to the effect of, you heard him, Pat. He thinks Mike deserves it. He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. You on the staff did not want people to leave the Capitol. On the staff? I, In the White House. I, 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 I can't think of anybody, you know, on that day who didn't want people to get out of the, the Capitol, once the, you know, particularly once the violence started. No. What about the president? Yeah. Well, she said the staff. So I answered. I said, good, John. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. General Flynn, do you believe in the peaceful transition of power in the United States of America? Let's go.
another officer unconscious. I don't want to say the election's over. I just want to say Congress has certified the results without saying the election's over, okay? Okay, then. That was uh, some of the video this afternoon on uh, on Monday from the January 6th. Some of the evidence and testimony from the hundreds of witnesses interviewed by the January 6th committee investigating Donald Trump's insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and his many failed attempts to steal the 2020 presidential election. Uh, we've got more for you ahead as the committee moved towards their criminal referrals of the president of the United States to the Department of Justice. We will step through uh, some of the uh, members who spoke about that and once again summarized the final report for the January 6th committee. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with that, including the um, the specific uh, criminal referrals and explanations of them and for them from Congressman Jamie Raskin. All of that and your calls if you want to ring in. 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. 818-985-5735. Hit option number one if you want to talk to me about any of this. Hit option number two if you're able to uh, support KPFK during our fun drive. All of that anyway is straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman and you you're listening to the broadcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the broadcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. In summary... President Trump lit the flame, he poured gasoline on the fire, and sat by in the White House dining room for hours watching the fire burn. And today, he still continues to fan those flames. That was his extreme dereliction of duty. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our special coverage continues of the House January 6th committee's finale hearing where they uh, voted in favor of four criminal referrals for the former president, Donald J. Trump, to the Department of Justice, which will be explained momentarily by Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland. But first, each of the members of the committee sort of stepped through parts of what we have learned about all of this over the past Uh, going on two years now in advance of both their vote for the criminal referral and for their uh, uh, the release of their final report as the committee will be dissolved by the end of the year. Uh, during the uh, commi- uh, during the hearing on Monday, committee member Zoe Lofgren, for example, Democrat from California, uh, she focused on Donald Trump's big lie that the election had been stolen despite all of the evidence to the contrary that was given to him by his own top advisors, his own Department of Justice. She explained how uh, Team Trump nonetheless strong armed witnesses to the committee. 
in fact, trying to encourage them to lie to the January 6th committee itself. You know, witness tampering, that too is a crime. Throughout, This was done throughout the investigation. Even after Trump has been out of office, she included new video testimony toward that end that was recently taken uh, from Trump's longtime senior advisor, Hope Hicks. Florida Democrat Stephanie Murphy summarized the summoning of the mob section of the committee's report, describing how after Trump invited supporters, his supporters to D.C. on January 6th for a rally that he promised, quote, will be wild. His administration then failed to ignore warnings from law enforcement officials concerning uh, the fact that Trump's tweet had galvanized his supporters like white nationalists and militia groups to converge on the nation's capital that day. The committee found that Mr. Trump raised hundreds of millions of dollars with false representations made to his online donors. Some of those funds were used to hire lawyers. We've also obtained evidence of efforts to provide or offer employment to witnesses. For example, one lawyer told a witness the witness could, in certain circumstances, tell the committee that she didn't recall facts when she actually did recall them. That lawyer also did not disclose who was paying for the lawyer's representation, despite questions from the client seeking that information. He told her, quote, we're not telling people where funding is coming from right now. We've learned that a client was offered potential employment that would make her, quote, financially very comfortable. The witness believed this was an effort to affect her testimony, and we are concerned that these efforts may have been a strategy to prevent the committee from finding the truth. Throughout the post-election period, ex-President Trump was told repeatedly by his campaign advisors, government officials, and others there was no evidence to support his claims of election fraud. Even since our last hearing, the Select Committee has obtained testimony from new witnesses who've come forward to tell us about their conversations with ex-President Trump on this topic. Here is one of his senior advisors, Hope Hicks. Seeing evidence of fraud on a scale that would have impacted the outcome of the election. And I was becoming increasingly concerned that we were damaging, um, we were damaging his legacy. Uh, what did the president say in response to what you just described? He said something along the lines of, you know, nobody will care about my legacy if I lose. Um, so that won't matter. Um, the only thing that matters is is winning. Despite all that, he continued to purposely and maliciously make false claims, sometimes within a day of being told that a particular claim was false and unsupported by the evidence. By the time the Electoral College met to cast its votes on December 14, 2020, a number of President Trump's senior staff, cabinet officials, and members of his family were urging him to facilitate a peaceful transition to the incoming administration. He disregarded their advice, and he continued to claim publicly that the election had been stolen from him. Numerous state and federal courts evaluated and rejected 
the Trump campaign's claims of voter fraud, including 11 judges appointed by ex-President Trump himself. Many of these courts issued scathing opinions, criticizing the lack of evidence that ex-President Trump and his allies had advanced to support their claims. Still, ex-President Trump repeated those false claims and tried to convince his supporters the election was stolen. This was an attempt to justify overturning the lawful election results. Donald Trump knowingly and corruptly repeated election fraud lies, which incited his supporters to violence on January 6th. He continues to repeat his meritless claim that the election was stolen even today and continues to erode our most cherished and shared belief in free and fair elections. In fact, that was California Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren. We got our clips mixed up there a little bit. Uh, That was not Florida Democrat Stephanie Murphy, who, uh, in fact, did talk about how Trump's tweets had uh, galvanized supporters and that uh, law enforcement officials were concerned in advance of January 6th about what might be uh, coming along with the mob to Washington, D.C. Prior to January 6th, the FBI... Secret Service, U.S. Capitol Police, D.C. government and other law enforcement agencies gathered substantial evidence suggesting the risk of violence at the Capitol during the joint session. These included warnings like the following. Their plan is to literally kill people. Please, please take this tip seriously and investigate further. President Trump supporters have proposed a movement to occupy Capitol Hill. Alert regarding the VP being a dead man walking if he doesn't do the right thing. I saw several other alerts saying they will storm the Capitol if he doesn't do the right thing. In the days leading up to January 6th, President Trump's advisors explicitly told him that he should encourage his supporters to be peaceful that day, but he refused. One witness, Hope Hicks, provided the committee with records of her text messages on January 6th. In one exchange with another staffer, He texted her, hey, I know you're seeing this, but he, referring to President Trump, really should tweet something about being nonviolent. I'm not there, Hicks replied. I suggested it several times Monday and Tuesday, and he refused. When Ms. Hicks came in to provide testimony to the committee, we asked her about this exchange. Her explanation is that the he in this text wasn't the president, but rather it was Eric Hirschman. Take a listen to her testimony. He wrote, I suggested it several times Monday and Tuesday, and he refused. Tell us what happened. Um, sure. I, I didn't speak to the president about this directly, but I communicated to people like Eric Hirschman um, that it was my view that it was important that the president put out some kind of message in advance of the event. And what was Mr. Hirschman's response? Um, Mr. Hirschman said that he had made the same you know, recommendation um, directly to the president um, and that he had refused. Just so I understand, Mr. Hirschman said that he had already recommended to the president that the president convey a message that people should be peaceful on January 6th and the president had refused to do that? Yes. 
The president went out of his way to not recommend that the uh, response on January 6th be peaceful and nonviolent. Finally, and by the way, as I said, we'll try to get to some of your calls if you'd like to ring in on any of this. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. If you think these uh, criminal referrals to the Department of Justice will make a difference, if you support these uh, criminal referrals, if you don't support, especially if you don't support, if you've listened to the show, you always you know that I always uh, enjoy uh, speaking with folks who don't agree with me. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Hit option number one. I want to play finally the uh, constitutional scholar, constitutional law professor and Maryland's Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin, who summarized the criminal referrals against former President Donald Trump. Um and uh, and for his uh, corrupt far right legal advisors like John Eastman and others, he summarized the referrals that the panel would eventually vote unanimously on to send to the Department of Justice, along with at least four members of Congress who failed to respond to lawful subpoenas from the committee, who will also be referred to the House Ethics Committee for sanctions. Here is. Jamie Raskin's explanation of these four very serious criminal charges. In the context of resolving evidentiary privilege issues related to the crime fraud doctrine in the Eastman case, U.S. District Court Judge David Carter examined just a small subset of our evidence to determine whether it showed the likely commission of a federal offense. The judge concluded that both former President Donald Trump and John Eastman likely violated two federal criminal statutes. This is the starting point for our analysis today. The first criminal statute we invoke for referral, therefore, is Title 18, Section 1512C, which makes it unlawful for anyone to corruptly obstruct, influence, or impede any official proceeding of the United States government. We believe that the evidence described by my colleagues today and assembled throughout our hearings warrants a criminal referral of former President Donald J. Trump, John Eastman, and others for violations of this statute. The whole purpose and obvious effect of Trump's scheme were to obstruct, influence, and impede This official proceeding, the central moment for the lawful transfer of power in the United States. Second, we believe that there is more than sufficient evidence to refer former President Donald J. Trump, John Eastman, and others for violating Title 18, Section 371. This statute makes it a crime to conspire to defraud the United States. In other words, to make an agreement to impair, obstruct, or defeat the lawful functions of the United States government by deceitful or dishonest means. Former President Trump did not engage in a plan to defraud the United States acting alone. He entered into agreements, formal and informal, with several other individuals who assisted him with his criminal objectives. Our report describes in detail the actions of numerous co-conspirators who agreed with and participated in Trump's plan to impair, obstruct, and defeat 
the certification of President Biden's electoral victory. That said, the subcommittee does not attempt to determine all of the potential participants in this conspiracy, as our understanding of the role of many individuals may be incomplete even today because they refuse to answer our questions. We trust that the Department of Justice will be able to form a far more complete picture through its own investigation. Third, we make a referral based on Title 18, Section 1001, which makes it unlawful to knowingly and willfully make materially false statements to the federal government. The evidence clearly suggests that President Trump conspired with others to submit slates of fake electors to Congress and the National Archives. We believe that this evidence we set forth in our report is more than sufficient for a criminal referral of former President Donald J. Trump and others in connection with this offense. As before, we don't try to determine all of the participants in this conspiracy, many of whom refuse to answer our questions while under oath. We trust that the Department of Justice will be able to form a more complete picture through its own investigation. The fourth and final statute we invoke for referral is Title 18, Section 2383. The statute applies to anyone who incites, assists, or engages in insurrection against the United States of America and anyone who gives aid or comfort to an insurrection. An insurrection is a rebellion against the authority of the United States. It is a grave federal offense anchored in the Constitution itself, which repeatedly opposes insurrections and domestic violence, and indeed uses participation in insurrection by officeholders as automatic grounds for disqualification from ever holding public office again at the federal or state level. Anyone who incites others to engage in rebelling, assists them in doing so, or gives aid and comfort to those engaged in insurrection is guilty of a federal crime. The committee believes that more than sufficient evidence exists for a criminal referral of former President Trump for assisting or aiding and comforting those at the Capitol who engaged in a violent attack on the United States. The committee has developed significant evidence that President Trump intended to disrupt the peaceful transfer, transition of power under our Constitution. The President has an affirmative and primary constitutional duty to act to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. Nothing could be a greater betrayal of this duty than to assist in insurrection against the constitutional order. The complete factual basis for this referral is set forth in detail throughout our report. These are not the only statutes that are potentially relevant to President Trump's conduct related to the 2020 election. Depending on evidence developed by the Department of Justice, the president's actions could certainly trigger other criminal violations. Nor are President Trump and his immediate team the only people identified for referrals in our report. Mr. Chairman, we understand the gravity of each and every referral we are making today, just as we understand the magnitude of the crime against democracy that we describe in our report. But we have gone where the facts and the law lead us, and inescapably, they lead us here. Accordingly, Mr. Chairman, in light of these facts, I ask unanimous consent that the chairman be directed to transmit to the United States Department of Justice 
relevant select committee records in furtherance of these criminal referrals. Once again, that was Congressman Jamie Raskin, Democrat of Maryland, uh, detailing the four criminal, the four crimes, I guess, that referred that were referred on Monday afternoon to the Department of Justice by uh, referred by the committee for Donald J. Trump. One, obstruction of an official proceeding, corruptly doing so. Conspir- two, conspire- uh, con- uh, conspiracy to defraud the United States. Three, conspiracy to make false statements in sending those false uh, fake elector records to Congress. And four, insurrection, which, as you heard uh, Congressman Raskin describe, there is an attack on the authority of the U.S. He described it as a grave offense. And if found guilty uh, of insurrection, one is disqualified from ever holding federal office again. The committee then went on to vote unanimously to issue those referrals to the U.S. Department of Justice. Got any thoughts on all of this? Our phone number is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. If you'd like to ring in on any of this today, a referral to the Department of Justice is just that. It is a referral. It is not an indictment. They are referring these uh, criminal charges, requesting, asking the department to consider these very serious criminal charges. They may very well already be doing exactly that at the DOJ or at least considering charges on some of the measures that were outlined there by the congressman, while the uh, congressional referral will require them to at least review the evidence for each of the charges that are being referred to them by Congress. They do not have to indict the former president for any of those charges, but they are uh, sort of formally obliged to consider the unprecedented criminal referrals of a former president of the United States. Will this make any difference in their ongoing probes that are already underway into the January 6th insurrection as now being overseen by special counsel Jack Smith? Uh, He was recently tapped by the attorney general, Merrick Garland, to oversee this federal probe and the other one uh, of Trump's theft of classified documents from the White House. Will it make any difference? 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, if you'd like to ring in with your thoughts there. I actually think it will make a difference if the Department of Justice was not considering, for example, the very serious charge of insurrection For example, well, now they've got a congressional finding helping to sort of put the wind at their backs a little bit, light a a fire under their feet, if you will, uh, in, in going as far as really they should go, at least as far as I'm concerned, in a case like this. Yeah. And just a reminder that these were all Republican witnesses. These were all people from Trump's Republican White House. So I think the House January 6th committee did a good job of trying to remove the political partisanship from it and just get the evidence that shows that, yes, Donald Trump pretty much did incite insurrection. Did you find the uh, case to be compelling? Give us a call, 818-985-5735 if we have time. Uh, or or did you find the, uh, the previous hearings over the past year and a half to be uh, compelling? As always, you know, I'm most interested in those who are willing to make excuses here for Trump, who disagree that he did anything wrong at all. 
or that he should be held accountable for any of those actions. If you've listened to the show, you know I'm always willing to engage with folks who see things differently than I do. If so, I hope you will call and call soon instead of waiting until the very last minute of the show when I can't talk to you. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Yeah, and press 1 to get on the air. Thank you, yes. Uh, otherwise, as usual, I've got some stuff to cover as well. Actually, a lot of it, but we'll see what I can get to. By the way, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that uh, we usually have our friend, the great Heather Digby Parton, on as part of our panel following all of the January 6th committee hearings up till now. I believe she will be joining us on tomorrow's broadcast to offer her thoughts on this matter and a bunch of other stuff at year's end. 818-985-5735. We'll take a quick break and we will come back with, well, whatever we have time for. I'm Brad Friedman and you're listening to the broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. I am at the gates of hell on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Thank you for sticking with us here today with our special coverage of the House January 6th uh, committee's final hearing. And there are four criminal referrals to the Department of Justice, including for insurrection by our former president, Donald Trump. Taking uh, some of your calls, 818-985-5735, as time allows here. Let's go to Guillermo in Los Angeles. Hey, Guillermo, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, Guillermo, let me let me get – there we go. Now I got you. Hey, hey, Guillermo, now you're on the air. Start over. What's up? Uh, there you go. How are you doing? How are Good. you guys? Um, okay, so maybe it's just wishful thinking for me, but um, I want to see what's going to happen. I mean, I hope he doesn't get indicted, and I know we have to follow the law and all that stuff, but if he doesn't get indicted, what's going to happen to the Republican Party? How well, are they going to fight to, you know, uh, to put DeSantis or, or – or, or, uh, Trump, what's going to happen to the party? What do you think? Well, why would you hope that he doesn't get indicted? Let me start there. Because I want to see, I, I want to see 
how are they going to destroy themselves? <laughs> well, I, I, I know you know, that, right? yeah, I mean, that might be fun, pop up some popcorn, but uh, I think we know how yeah. they're going to destroy themselves. They're going to get, things are going to get worse and worse and worse because George W. Bush, for example, was never indicted. We got Donald Trump out of it. So if Donald yeah. Trump is not invi- uh, indicted, imagine what we are going to get next, yeah. Guillermo. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. No, no, I see it. I mean, I mean, I, as it is, I believe the, the Republican Party is just going down in flames. But, but again, you know, like like you said, you know, I I was hoping for some popcorn and to see, you know, <laughs> well, sit down and watch them. You know. Well, let me tell you what. I think you're going to uh, enjoy your popcorn anyway because I think there are indictments coming, whether it's for the stolen documents that he uh, stored at Mar-a-Lago or for any of this sure, January sure 6th stuff uh, or for trying to steal the election in Georgia or for uh, paying off a porn star in New York. There's plenty no coming. Video. Make sure you got uh, popcorn ready. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking my call. Thank you, Guillermo. Have a lovely holiday. Let me go to John in Los Angeles. Hey, John, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Oh, do we? Oh, there we go. I, you'd think yeah, after all these years, all... I'd learn how to operate the phones. Hey, John, start over. Go. You're on the, sh- you're on the air. Yeah, no, nothing's going to happen. This is all theatrics. The Trump's running again. All of a sudden, they're going to get these uh, referrals. They're not indictments. Nothing happened to Bush for what he did. Nothing happened to Obama. Nothing happened to Clinton. This is all theatrics. This is just to squeeze people, get people all emotional. When is this going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> well, and do you think that's uh, the case at both the federal level and the state levels? Because there's, you know, there's Look, also investigations going on at the state level. To, if they wanted to, they go arrest them right now. Why don't they just go arrest them right now? What's the deal? Do you want me to? Everybody else commits a crime. They're not going to do nothing. And save this recording. You can play it later yep. when he's running again, and you'll remember. And you'll remember me. Nothing's going to happen. They, you know, Clinton was supposed to go to prison. That nothing happened. She, she did all kinds of stuff. You know, uh, uh, Bush. Look what he did. Well, okay, all right. Let me. Let me. You. You asked me a question, so let me answer it. Uh, why is he not? Why have they not gone out and arrested him? Well, if you are going to arrest and indict at least the president of the United States, you need to have all your ducks in a row. Because if you don't have it right, if he, uh, you know, is acquitted of these charges. It will be even worse. So they need to get it right. As far as putting, I don't know what Bill Clinton was supposed to go to jail for. Uh, I do know Hillary. Hillary Clinton. Oh, Hillary Clinton. Why would she go to jail? Well, all the stuff that she did. The, like the what? The on the phones and the acid washing and all the things that she did. There was, hang on. There what was, was well, because there was no crime. The FBI investigated. Nothing happened because there was no crime. This so-called acid washing, as you describe it, uh, actually wasn't acid washing and it wasn't a crime. She was uh, looked at every which way by a Republican Department of Justice, Jim Comey. And there was no crime. So she wasn't going to go to jail. Now, George W. Bush definitely should have gone to jail, but he was never investigated. They never put in a special prosecutor to look at him the way they have now for Donald Trump. So I'm not saying he I can't tell you for sure. And yes, Des, uh, mark it down. John says we should keep this clip. We will play it if he's never indicted. But I will also want to note that even if he runs for he can run. For president, whether he's indicted or not, as a matter of fact, he can run whether he's in jail or not, as long as he hasn't been charged with insurrection, he can run for president even from jail. It wouldn't be the first time a presidential candidate did that, John. Correct. And you know what? Look, I get what you're saying. You you make a point. But look, this is all theatrics. They're all in on it at the top. If you prosecute Trump, every president is going to be on notice from there on. 
It goes both ways. They all protect each other. As far as I'm concerned, it's all the same. It's all they're all they're all feathers of the same bird. Okay. They're going to play this game. All of a sudden, right before he's right before the election, it's going to get real hot for Trump. The 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 referrals are going to be talking about it. And it's just like, why didn't they do this two years ago? Why didn't they do this like a, a year after it happened? Again, because you have to, again, because you have to collect the evidence. You have to get it right, particularly but when you're right charging there. anybody, but much less the president but of the United States, but, John. But it's, but, it, but it's right there. They said he did this. I mean, well. what do they need to see? The evidence that they presented at the committee is stuff that we've been watching since the beginning. Okay, All well, you, sudden, you, you, you have to have the evidence to, uh, you know, convict beyond a, a, a question of a doubt, however that's... Uh, phrased. They have to get this right. You have to convince an entire jury that he did this. And you're talking about the president of the United States. And I think you do want to be careful to make sure you get it right. Otherwise, there will not be another indictment of a president. Now, John, I got to get out because it's the top of the hour. Thank but you. hang Thank on, John. Know. Let me let me just say this, John. Uh, we, we will take note of this show. If you turn out to be right, we will be happy to uh, play your call again. But if you turn out to be wrong and if he's in Indicted. I hope you'll give me a call and apologize to I'll me. A big, I'll be, I, I'll, not only that, but I'll make a big donation to you. I like that. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I appreciate it even more if you give a big donation and listen, right now. And, 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 listen, yeah. and yeah. all you listeners out there, go ahead and make a donation because this is a good show. I don't agree with everything you say, but you let people talk. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I do appreciate that. Thanks, John. Uh, thanks to everyone else here. Thanks to our producer, Tessie Doya, to our board operator, Mark Maxwell, and to all of you for sitting through our special coverage of the finale January uh, 6th. House Select Committee investigating whatever it is. You know you know the story by now. Thank you to all. And uh, you can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons, I am simply the Brad Blog. Please do find me there, particularly over at Mastodon. Lord knows what's going to happen with Twitter. Maybe we'll get to talk about that tomorrow. All right. I think that's it. Uh, that's it. All right. Until we meet again, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. This day in labor history, the year was 1945. That was the day that workers ended their 99-day strike against the Ford Motor Company in Windsor, Ontario. Just across the river from Detroit, workers from the UAW Local 200 fought and won a union shop and dues checkoff. 
They had to fight hard to get it. The plant was organized during World War II. Workers put off many demands to help with the war effort. After the war, Ford refused to agree to a new contract and laid off 1,500 workers. The workers voiced their rage and issued new demands. They wanted vacation and layoff pay, better grievance procedures, and medical benefits. They also wanted compensation for work on Sundays and holidays. When Ford refused to budge, 14,000 workers took to the picket line and went on strike. By October, they also shut down the powerhouse that brought light, heat, and power to the plant. Management complained machinery would be damaged if the power remained off. The Ontario Provincial Police and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police were called in to reopen the plant. When they arrived, they found a barricade of some 2,000 cars and trucks reinforcing the picket lines. Then, 8,000 workers from Amalgamated Local 195, which included Chrysler workers, walked out in sympathy. They joined the picket lines and stayed out for a month. The Women's Auxiliary organized to feed the strikers. They had financial support from unions, churches, and small businesses from across the country. Returning soldiers marched in solidarity rallies along with much of the community. Because of this strong showing of support, negotiations were jump-started and soon workers were ratifying a new contract. This victory allowed what is now Unifor 584 to win unprecedented gains for its members for more than three decades.